Welcome back, Nexus Church family, to the second week in our series, Love Where You Live. Now, in this series, we're examining what does it mean to actually love where you live? Some of us probably aren't exactly living where we would love to live, but yet God has placed us there. God has given us either a family or a job or something to put us where we are. And it is my hope that in this series, we will find how we can not just see where we live be a decent place to make a living and to raise a family or to go to school or whatever it is, why we find ourselves where we are, but to help it to thrive and to actually truly love where we live. Now, last week we examined exactly what it means to not just serve where we live, but to watch over it, to care for it, to not just expect the place where we live to be a, a place where maybe it is where we make our living or go to school, but to, to be a servant there and to watch over it, to care for the people and the land that God has given us. We found that in Genesis chapter 2, and then we saw that it expanded into the New Testament, that this is something that God desires for us wherever we are. See, God created this world, but yet he has given us the gift to care for it. What an amazing gift that God has called us to, a purpose to take care of what he created. I don't know about you, but I find that like to be so powerful that the God who created me would ask me to care for his creation. I think that's profound and something that we should really reflect upon in our own lives. Like, this isn't just something that we have to do or that because of the fall, like, now work is sucky and I don't want to do it. Like, this is a burden that we have to carry. No, no. See, in the New Testament, God has redeemed work to be something that's purposeful and that we have the ability and the honor to do for him to watch over what he has created. So that was what we covered last week. And today, we're going to continue to build upon it because the reality is we find ourselves in a broken world. How do we do this in a broken world? How do we love where we live? How do we watch over it? How do we serve it? When the reality is when you and I wake up and we go to work or go to school or go to our families or in our neighborhoods, we are faced with difficult situations. We have things around us that are tough to deal with. And we're going to dive into that today. But let me begin by asking you, have you ever experienced a situation that you wanted to run from? Right? We can look in the Bible and we can see all these examples and they seem so foreign to us. Right? It's like it's tough to relate. The story we're going to read about today is of, of the nation of Israel. When they were put into captivity, what God called them to do while they were in captivity. It's hard to relate to that sometimes. So I want to make this practical before we get into our text today. And have you been in a situation where you have wanted to run from? Maybe it could be a relationship, a bad work environment, or a boss, or or maybe it's just a toxic culture or bad situation that you just find yourself in. Maybe it's even poor decisions you've made. And you're like, oh, man, 
I just want to run from this. I, I made a mess of this life. I need a new start. <laughs> Man, I've said all of those things in my mind over the years. You don't have to go around the sun too many times in your adult life, and you're like, wow, this is not going the way I thought it would. Could I just have a redo? <laughs> the reality is, is that's not going to happen. We don't get redos. Maybe once in a while you get a redo in life, but not very often. So we have difficult situations. I'll never forget, before I came to where I am today in Thief River Falls, I was, I was a, just a regular full-time worker in a grocery store, right? I'd spent 12 years working as a frozen dairy manager in a couple different stores where I was the guy, right? Of course, I was middle management, so I had bosses like anybody else. But really, I, I ran that department, and I took great pride in it, and I had employees and so I was watching over both employees and product, right? And so after 12 years of being in those roles, I finally decided that I probably should move closer to home and get a, a job closer to home. I was working 45 minutes away and a lot of, lot of distance between me and my, my place where I was employed after we'd moved as, as, a, as a children's pastor position opened up. We moved to Zimmerman, but I was still working in St. Cloud area. So that was a lot of distance, a lot of country roads, and in the wintertime, it wasn't always a great experience. And so after doing that for a few years, I decided I should move closer to home. The only problem was the positions that were open at the store that was closest to us didn't have any managerial roles. So I took just a normal full-time job underneath a, a meat manager that, that had a lot of struggles in his own life and was going through quite a bit and had his own insecurities and issues like we all do. He wasn't a bad guy. But a lot of times he would take out his, his struggles when life wasn't going the way it should or the department wasn't going well and he was getting pressured. He would take it out on us. Now, it never was really a big problem because I was understanding of his situation. I'd been there for 12 years myself. I knew what he was going through. Uh, one day, he had a pretty big blow up with me and he, in short, chewed me out right in front of everybody else that was in the store. And now, thankfully, it was quite time of day, and so not many people were around. But still, that moment where that conflict happened, in short, it caused conflict between us until the day I finally said I needed to move on. And so his, his blow-up, my own insecurities and trying to be careful and, and not step on his toes, caused me to, instead of walking towards the difficult situation, I ran from that difficult situation. And you see, every single person in life is going to have situations where you either go towards it or you run from it. And I had an option to make. And, and honestly, I wish I could go back and I could change that situation because of my own insecurities and my own struggles that I was going through and a lot of things that happened in my own life, I have a tendency to run from conflict instead of going towards it and trying to fix it. Now, if only I could go back and change it, I would, but I can't. That was practically a decade ago already. It's crazy how time flies. But the point is, you and I, that's not going to be the last conflict I have. We're going to have situations right where we live that are going to cause us to either go away from where we're at or go towards it. God has placed us where we are. 
And it is our choice to either enter into that situation, no matter if it's tough or going well, and care for it, watch over it, and serve it. And so we're going to look at couple of examples, one from the book of Jeremiah today and one from First Peter, and we're going to examine how do we enter in to those situations where we find ourselves and it's difficult and we want to run. I'm going to learn as much as you are today, so let's go dig in. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 9, a very quick passage for you today. So we read, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. <laughs> okay. I need to set this up a little bit before we unpack what we just read. So, for hundreds of years, we have had in Israel up to this point, God warning the Israelites that destruction is going to come. You have fallen away from my commands, and I'm going to send an army, and they're going to destroy your city and take you away as captives, as slaves, right? They continued to warn them, continued to warn them, finally. And God had completed this many times, and so they would go into captivity, or they'd have people come and take a few people away. But this time, this time when they went to Babylon, it was all out, right? There was only a few people that the Babylonians left there to care for the little remains that there was. And then, of course, there was conflict even in that. But the majority went to Babylon. And so now Jeremiah is writing to these people who find themselves pretty much enslaved to the Babylonians, much like when they were back in Egypt, back in Moses' time. They were now in captivity, all of them remembering the beauty of the temple and beauty of Jerusalem. And they all wanted to go back. And during this time that Jeremiah is writing, there were many other prophets like him. And this had happened throughout all of his Israelites' history. There was people who were prophesying false statements from God. These were not from God. These were what the people wanted to hear or what the leaders wanted the people to hear, right? And so they were prophesying, predicting that they would go back soon, that God would destroy this nation that held them captive, and they would be going back. Like, like it wasn't going to take long for God to recorrect, and they'd get to go back and build the temple, build the city walls, and reestablish themselves as God's chosen people, which all sounded great, right? That's exactly what they wanted to hear. That's exactly in line with what God would normally say, right? And so all of this sounded good to the people. This is exactly what they wanted to hear. This is exactly what God would want for them, of course, because they're his chosen people. And so who wouldn't have believed this message? It seems so right. It seems so true. And so it was sitting there. And Jeremiah came along and he's like, no. No, in fact, you're going to be here for 70 years. 
you're going to have to sit in captivity. And so he says that they were to actively seek the welfare of the city. Now, this this term that's translated here means shalom. Now, shalom, we know, maybe some of us from history or from even today, Israel used shalom a lot. The word really means more than peace, right? It's translated here, welfare. Or another way of looking at it is the wholeness or the fullness in your safety and love and relationships and your spiritual well-being, your physical well-being. Like it's the whole person, every part of you. You are to care for the well-being of this city that's taking you into captivity. God is telling his people in captivity that you're going to be there for a long time. So get ready. Love the city where you're in. Take care of it. Look over it. Want the best for all of it. And then he goes into this practical pedestrian task that they were supposed to do, right? You're to build gardens. Plant beautiful gardens. Build houses. Get married. Leave a legacy. You're going to die here. So make the most of it. What a, what a mindset shift. Right To go from, we want to escape, we want to get out of here, we want to go back home to, a, this is your home now. Make the most of it. Leave a legacy. Do good here so that when you bless this city where you are now exiled, this is your home now. Now, this is not your permanent home. This is your temporary home. Make the most of it. Take care of it. Get married. Do good. Make an impact. In the midst of a terrible circumstance, make the most. Now, Peter builds on this in 1 Peter chapter 3. Again, remember last week when we read this, we were reading that these, these people that Peter was re- writing to this letter, this, this letter from him to them, this, this kind of like, a, I see you there. I see the struggles you're going through. You, you are exiles, just like the Israelites were here in a foreign land. This is not your home. I see you. I see the struggle. And God has chosen you and placed you here for a reason. Remember that? Like, how mind-boggling. Like, these people... Enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and they are immediately sent out of Jerusalem or wherever they were planted, and they were to go and preach the gospel to these foreign places and undoubtedly receive persecution. Like, not like the kind of persecution we think of where it's like, oh, they, they don't hire me because I'm a Christian or they, they don't want me to pray to my God in the public square. No, like this was like, you proclaim the name of Jesus, you might get your head cut off. Like this is serious stuff, right? Like I, we can't even relate to that in America, but that's what they were going through. And so Peter is writing to these kinds of people. And when we come to this today, just, just be mindful of that, that Peter is writing to people who are in a tough place, who are just like the Israelites in the Old Testament. They are exiles. 
but they are doing it willingly, right? So listen to this. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil, insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you might may inherit a blessing. Verse 10 of chapter 3, we read, For the one who wants to love and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from seeking deceit, and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? So Peter is looking down, and he's saying, I see you where you are. O sent ones of Jesus Christ, choosing to put your life on line. I see you. Now remember, you are an example of Jesus to these people. Do good. Care for one another. Don't, don't insult one another. Not paying back evil for evil. But let your conduct represent God well. So that what you do transforms the city. I know what you're going through. You're, you're experiencing persecution right where you are. And I know how hard it is to stay there. You're struggling. You're, you're potentially going to lose your life at any point of the day. You could be snatched up and be the next example of what it means to not follow the gods of that city that you're in. Keep doing good. Don't, don't pay back evil when they do evil towards you. Seek the good of those people who hate you. Seek the welfare. It's powerful. He quotes here in verses 10 through 12, he quotes from David's psalm in Psalm 34. Listen to this. I want to read it one more time. For the one who wants to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, right? Don't speak evil. Just keep doing what is good. And let him turn away and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Stop there just for a second. That word peace, it's going back to what Jeremiah spoke to the Israelites when they were in captivity. Seek peace. Shalom. Seek the welfare, all of it, of this place that God has called you to. Watch over it. Serve it. Care for it. Love where you live. Love where you live. And then we come to verse 13. And in the NASB version, I want to read it to you. Peter says, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Zealous. Okay, so we, we're going through Peter's thoughts here, right? 
you've been called. Jesus saved you. He has placed you where you are. You've had to flee, but yet your fleeing is sending you to the ends of the earth that Jesus said that you were to do. You're to go to the ends of the earth and proclaim the good news that he is risen. That he is giving you an opportunity to be in the presence of the Father for all of eternity. You have chosen that. Not only are you chosen by God, but you are choosing to proclaim that message. You are willingly putting yourself in this place. Now, seek the good of where you are. Seek the welfare. Pursue it. And then he concludes it with be zealous. Like, it's, it's as if he's looking down and he's saying, I know where you are. I know how much they hate you. But when you do so much good for it, they won't, they, they, they won't matter how much they hate the message. They'll look to you and say, how can we kill this person when they are so caring for our city? They want the best for it. Oh, my goodness, people. If we as Christians could just get a hold of this, be zealous for what is good. Because if you are so zealous for the good of where you live, why would they say Christians are a bunch of hypocrites? Christians are just about what they want to get past in the laws. Christians just want to get prayer back into school. That's all we are known for. Us standing on our platforms and saying, we want to get America back again. That's not how we win. That's not how the Bible proclaims that we are to go out and spread the message of Jesus. No, we are to lay our lives down and seek such good for our community that they will look at us and they say, how can we find any fault in them? Right? It's the same thing when we read the book of Daniel. And Daniel is this great man that people are trying to set up for being this horrible person and trying to get the king to kill him. And when the king finds out, he tries to find every way possible to free him. Why? Because Daniel's done nothing but good for the city. And so the king is like, oh, I don't want to kill this guy. He's done nothing but good. And it's the same thing for Joseph way back, right? When he's doing all the good for Egypt. He, he gets falsely accused and thrown into prison. And he works his way out. How? Not because he demands his own way, because he continues to serve. Friends, that is the call of the Bible. We are called to serve, to do good, to be zealous. Right? What does zealous mean? It's the state of having a strong emotion, so much so that we are compelled to action. Zealous for good. Zealous for good. That is what we are called to. That's what Peter writes to these followers. And he says, I see you. I know it's hard. I know you want to run. It's so easy to run, right? When you're facing a hard time, when you're facing relational conflict, the easiest thing to do is say, I can't do it no more. I've tried. 
I've done the best. I've prayed. I've went to counseling. I've tried all the self-helps. I've read the Bible. I've, I've done it all. I don't have anything left to give. And then walk away. How many people have walked away? God calls us to be intentional and to press in. Right? Jesus said himself in John 15, 20, since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. They're going to persecute us. We're going, let's not even say they, right? It's not people we're fighting. Right? We're, not, we're not fighting politicians. We're not fighting people who hate Christianity or are trying to, to pass things in, in the laws or in the schools trying to teach our kids negative things. No, we are fighting an adversary called the devil. And he is abusing people. Right? He is using and abusing people. He is coming to seek, kill, and destroy people. People are not our enemy. We need to look at them and say, man, the enemy is so confused them. He has so messed up their life to make them think that this is okay. Right? They're people just like you, just like me. I should be no different than anybody who is far away from God trying to push their agendas. They're just doing what God said they would do following after their own inclinations that are brought about by the enemy, Satan. Right? And so if they persecuted Jesus, they're going to persecute us. And it's the enemy. And the enemy, I think, is doing more harm inside of us than with people. He is lying to us. He is saying, you need to stop fighting. You need to stop caring. You need to stop serving. That's him. And so today, because you are a follower of Jesus, he's got his target on you. And he's saying, how can I get them to stop? How can I get them to stop caring, to stop engaging in the church family, in their community, in spreading the gospel? How can I get them to stop enjoying the community of people around them? He wants to isolate you. That is the enemy's job to isolate. I can promise you that. You look at any predator in nature, and what is their job? Their job is to isolate their prey. And that's exactly what the enemy is doing today. He is isolating people. Here you are, in your own little world, on the computer, typing out all of these things, all alone, and you feel attacked constantly. But when you're surrounded by people, even if you disagree, you know you're not alone. And there's power being together with your brothers and sisters. So don't forsake the assembly of God's people. Keep pressing in. Don't stop going towards the person who needs the love of Jesus. Care for them. Seek the well-being. And please, please, whatever you do, don't stop proclaiming the gospel because it is the only message that truly frees a person from bondage. We are only exiles here. We are left here. We are sent here where we are for a purpose. To proclaim the message of Jesus Christ to a lost world who needs it. That is why we're left here. We have a purpose. God created this world. Beautiful, 
perfect. Sin messed it up. That was the enemy. He got in and he confused us. He messed it up. But God redeemed it through Jesus Christ. And now we continue to have that mandate to redeem what was lost in the garden. We are to care for what God created. We're to seek the well-being of it, to love it, and to see it come back to God right where we are. Friends, I wish that I was better at this. I run from conflict as much as any person in the world. I am, I just am, I struggle with it. It's just the reality, right? And maybe you're like me and you're like, man, I, I, right now, I want to run from a lot of things. Maybe that's not you, man. Would you just reach out and pray for me and for those like me and surround people like myself? who need that, that strength. I think there's so many of us right now who are, who are running. I, I see it all the time, both in the local church and in the church abroad. People are just quitting, giving up, losing hope, not pressing on. And so today, I want to leave, leave a few thoughts for all of us to ponder when it comes to this thought of how do we not give up? How do we continue to practically face tough situations and strained relationships? I think the first thing is to, we just got to get intentional. We've got to be intentionally aware of this, that it is a natural tendency for people to, to back away. And so being self-aware of where am I backing away and intentionally going towards that, Get that fight mode on if you have to. Like, get in your head that I am not going to back away. I'm going to fight for what is right. I'm going to go towards these situations and care for what God has placed me in authority over. So intentionally fight and go towards that which you would want to back away from. Number two, pray for zeal. Like, friends, strength, com strength comes from God period, right? Like, yes, you have to be intentional and you need to get that, that fight back and go towards those areas that you want to back away from. But ultimately, that strength, that, that grit to continue on, though it is something that you have to personally and intentionally put that back into yourself, strength and the ability to follow through comes from God. We are weak. But where we are weak, God is strong. So don't rely necessarily just on your own strength. Go towards God. Get that intentionality back inside of you. Go towards it, but go to God and pray. Seek his strength. Seek his zeal. I believe he'll give it to you. And then lastly, be patient. God's going to work in these situations. So often, we want it done tomorrow, right? That, that conflict, we'll, we'll, we're willing to fight as long as there is a result, immediate result at that. But God sometimes says, there's more to it than just you. And he's working things out. He's going to work things out. So be patient, and in his time, things will work out. I know I need that for myself. I need to be reminded of that often. Don't give up. Don't give up on year three, year four, year 20. Don't stop fighting. Don't let the devil lie to you and say it's not worth it. It's worth it. 
you will be victorious. Remember, you are exiles here. If you're a follower of Christ, God left you on earth for a reason, to seek the welfare of where he's placed you. What a gift. What a gift he has given you. Will you be zealous for what is good? Father, I pray for every person listening. God, there is not a person alive who hasn't been at some point in their life dealt a card where they want to run. They don't want to fight no more. I pray whether that's been in the past or that will still come, I pray that you will redeem what has been done and that we have run from. But God, that in the days to come when we'll be faced with that again, that you will give us the zeal, the strength to do what is good even in the difficult situations. God, we see it throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. God, there's not a single person who's immune to difficult situations. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will give every person the ability to stay where they are and to love through every situation and to see to it that they will serve and watch over where you have placed them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today, Nexus Church family, and we'll see you again next week when we dig even deeper into what it means to love where you live. See you then.